Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 29 through 33. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Do not plan harm against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Do not quarrel with anyone without cause when no harm has been done to you. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. For the perverse are an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the abode of the righteous. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Most holy and loving God, as we gather for worship this morning, there is so much on our hearts, so much in our minds, so much swirling in the room around us. But already, we feel the presence of your Spirit calming the world in which we live. So may your spirit wash over us. May it open our ears and our very souls so that we would hear what you would say to us today. And in speaking to us, may our lives be transformed so we would leave this time worshiping you worshiping together, and that we would go out of here not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So when I was about 13 years old, I'd gone to summer camp, and I had fallen in love with sailing, so much so that I came back from camp with a plan to buy a sailboat of my own. And so for the next two years, between mowing yards and shoveling snow, yes, this was back in the day when we actually had snow a lot, shoveling snow, raking leaves, and delivering papers, I saved up enough money to buy a sunfish. Now, if you know anything about sailboats, a sunfish is your basic starter boat. It's, it's a great boat, but there's not a lot of room on it. And, you know, it's perfect for, you know, someone 13 years old to have a buddy on there with them. But as I got older, I realized I needed something a little bit bigger. And I traded up to a 14-foot day sailor. A little bit more room, a roomier cockpit, room for many more folks. even had my college roommates on there with me once, uh, all four of them. We filled up the boat. Fun afternoon, another story, another day. But this love for sailing just has stayed with me. And I think what I love about it is when you're sailing, it's the pace and the simplicity of it all. 
I mean, you harness the wind and you cannot be in a hurry to get anywhere because you're at the mercy of how fast or how much the wind blows. But when on that boat, just kind of butting along, putting along, all of my cares, all of my stress just dissipates. There is one problem with small boat sailing, though. It's a four-letter word, wake. Now, if you know anything about boats, a wake is what happens. It's the waves that come out of the back of a powerboat or a jet ski as it plows through the water. And a wake is just, it's, it's just a series of waves that comes. And if it comes too close to a small sailboat, while it's anchored or while it's set on a heading, it rocks the boat so much so that the sails start to flap and you lose the wind in your sails and all your forward momentum and it's a little bit of a violent episode. And so what happens is when you think about this, this idea of the boat waves, the wake, you have to kind of anticipate it. Now there are rules to the road in power boating in which you're supposed to stay far away from sailboats so as not to disrupt their forward progress with your wake. And if you can't be far away from them, you're supposed to slow down so that your waves are smaller so that they have a more pleasant experience being disrupted. This is just sort of common courtesy that happens from time to time. But we as small boaters, what we begin to realize is every once in a while there's one captain of a powerboat that goes sailing by or racing by not paying attention to their wake. And in that very moment, it is like trying to sail across the North Atlantic in a nor'easter in the middle of the winter. I mean, it is just violent up and down, left and right, and pretty soon everything is all just tore apart. No forward progress. And it's those moments when I've experienced that that I just want to wish, I'm like, does he not see or does she not see I'm trying to go somewhere slowly? Does she not see this? Are they not considered about how their wake affects the rest of us? Let's hold on to that thought for a minute. That might be a question that we need to think about in our lives. So on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about basic United Methodist beliefs, learning sort of what they are and sort of how we might use our beliefs and our past to chart a way forward for our denomination and for us as United Methodists. And one of the source documents for our belief, in addition to the Articles of Religion and the Confession of Faith, are John Wesley's general rules. He had three of them, and they really are a guide for how we practice our discipleship, how that is how we follow Jesus, how we emulate Jesus' life in the world around us. So for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of look at these general rules. There are three of them, and I want to add a fourth to it for us. But look at how these three general rules impact our practice of faith and might inform how we live our lives each and every day. But if we begin to look at Proverbs today, this text that I just read, it kind of tees up that first general rule, do no harm. See, the author, the author, the author of Proverbs goes straight to it very clear, do no harm to your neighbor. Do not quarrel without cause when there's no harm done to you. Do not choose the way of violence. See, for John Wesley, this idea of doing no harm challenges us to look at 
how we intentionally and unintentionally cause harm in the world around us, how we do damage to our relationships with God and with others, and maybe even to consider when we do this and we're not even aware of it. So in other words, when John Wesley says, do no harm, what John Wesley wants us to do is to become aware of the wake that we make, the waves that we cast as we plow through the seas of life, and to make sure that we don't cast waves that are course-altering or a a deflating effect on the lives of others. Now, we hear that phrase, do no harm, and immediately comes to mind that there are some obvious things that we should avoid doing. Because we can can identify harm from time to time, and we can identify obvious things that we do which hurt others, which dispel their life, which upend what they're doing. I mean, we've seen the damage and the horror of war. So war is definitely something that causes harm. We saw this a little over a year ago when Ukraine was invaded by Russia. We've seen it this past week in what is happening in Israel and Gaza, these horrors of war. And what we know is if we go back at history, we know that we can trace this this damage, this destruction across time. And what comes to mind for me is that phrase that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But I think back a little over 100 years ago, there was a war known as the Great War, or the war to end all wars. And yet, how many wars have we fought since the end of World War I? See, we know it's bad, and yet sometimes we're really struggling to how to justify the violence that we have witnessed and the violence that may have even perpetuated on us, and what do we do about it? See, the gospel calls for peace, And yet we admit that our human reaction sometimes is for not peace. As we watch the news, we struggle with that, don't we? But we hear this call to do no harm, to work for, dare I say maybe even fight for peace in our world. This sense of fighting for peace is not just on a battlefield in some foreign country. It's right here in our community. I mean, it used to be when tensions were high amongst groups of people that there were tense and heated discussions, and maybe, just maybe, occasionally it spilled out into some kind of a tussle. But nowadays, what we see when we open the newspaper, we see that there are tussles that start quickly, and they go straight from harsh words to gunfire. And so the wake of this damage is pain and suffering, the hospital, and even the morgue. See, we've got to find a way to practice and to encourage de-escalation, that that principle that we hear in James, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry, slow to react to the injustice that we see being perpetuated us through rather fighting back to figure out how to de-escalate and turn the temperature down. You can ask our own Katie Allen, the assistant chief of police for patrol, or you can ask Jamika out front or Donnie downstairs what they see every night. It used to be they would be called out to, to calls where there was tension and there was maybe even a fist fight, but they were called to settle and make the peace, and now they come 
to investigate murders. We have forgotten to do no harm. Or we can look at the mental health crisis amongst our teens and young adults. It was related to bullying in a lot of ways, those opportunities where they come together in school with other teens and other young adults, and all of a sudden, because no one wants to stand out, they pick on someone who does stand out. Hammering on those differences in our schools and communities. But bullying is not just confined to teens and young adults in schools. It's also in our workplaces, it's on social media, it's in our school board meetings, in our community meetings. People now log on or they come to meetings not to discuss, not to have discourse, not to agree to disagree, not to say, how do we find a solution? Instead, they come on to berate, to argue with no intent of listening to the other side. Friends, that's doing harm in our community. And these are just three examples of intentional places where harm is being caused. And we see the obvious destruction that the wake of those things creates. And oftentimes it is done intentionally. But see, the call to do no harm calls us to cease and eliminate such behaviors in our daily lives. Not just war, not just fighting, not just bullying, but also things such as bickering and arguing. Or maybe even think about how we behave on the sports field, whether we're playing or spectating. Or the verbal, emotional, or physical abuse that we visit, sadly, upon each other. Or maybe even intentionally bearing false witness, where we know just a shard of the truth. Maybe we even know the whole story, but we only share a little bit to make it salacious. To create drama. Or maybe we only hear a shard of it and it doesn't sound right, but instead of sort of working out, we fill in the gaps with the rest of our story and then we go tell it as truth. And the waves of damage begin to roll out behind us. But what we know this idea of doing no harm in these obvious places, that this is hard work. Just like following Jesus is hard work. But what we know is just like following Jesus, the more we do it, the more we practice it, the easier it becomes. So the more we follow Jesus, the more we practice that, the easier it becomes. What happens the less we do violence? the more peace we bring. This is important. But we know the obvious work. We know the obvious acts which cause harm. We can see those effects immediately. But what about those intentional things that we do which cause, those unintentional things that we do which cause harm in our community? We're not even aware of it. See, when Jesus commands us to love our neighbor and to love God with all of our heart, what it really is about, it's about orienting our lives in such a way that is the more we grow in love with God, the more we grow in love with our neighbor. The more we become aware of how our actions affect each other. How they impact the world around us. In other words, the closer that we are drawn to God, the closer that we are trying to emulate Christ, the more, we be, the more we are compelled before we act or before we speak 
to consider the impact of our words and our actions on the lives of those around us. Think back to this story with me. Think back that if the last time that you were in a meeting with a group of people and someone tells a story that sort of got some energy behind it, a little bit of drama, a little bit of tension, and they're telling about one of your friends or an organization that you're part of, and you sit there and you go, that doesn't sound like my friend. That doesn't sound like my organization. Do you speak up? Do you speak up and say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound quite right? Or do we sit silent and let the story and the reactions all unfold? See, friends, the unintentional consequence of that, if we don't speak up and don't challenge and don't just, and do it respectfully, but if we don't challenge, then everyone in the room assumes that must be true. And your friend's reputation, your organization's mission is besmirched by something that's not quite right? Or what about when we weigh policies and decisions that we're making in our schools or our homes or our workplaces and consider how those rules might negatively impact others? This idea of doing no harm is not just doing physically no harm, but really thinking about how the things that we do, the larger, long-term, more distant effects that we may not fully see. Now, when we do this, we're not going to create this instant utopia. But when we act with this as our first focus in thought, word, and deed to do no harm, we begin to bring about the change that God wants to see in the world around us. We begin to minimize the pain and the suffering within those that are around us and minimize their hardships. And we lessen the effect of our actions, our policies, our words and our deeds on the lives of those around us, even the ones that we are not fully aware of. So I think back to being on that sailboat. A couple of years ago, I was on a boat. I was on that boat one day. It was a light wind day, a zephyr of a wind, if you will, barely making any forward progress. I'd sort of set my course I was there, I was having a great time, I was fully relaxed, and along comes this massive cabin cruiser, cutting up about a four-foot wake, and sure enough, the captain wasn't paying a lick of attention, and cut too close to me, and immediately threw me off my course, out of the wind, bobbing up and down, swinging left and right, again, for a small boat, pretty violent. But let me tell you what happened. Just as he realized what was happening, he he just hadn't seen me. And he looked back and he sort of made a gesture that told me basically, I'm sorry. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I grumbled a little bit. We all would. But I sort of felt better because he at least recognized the damage that he had caused to my pleasant afternoon of sailing. About a half hour later, he comes back up the lake. He sees me, and he slows down, barely any wake coming out of the back of his boat. And when he gets past me, throttle down, and he's back to full speed again, cutting a four-foot wake. But in that moment, 
he had realized his mistake, and when he had a chance to lessen the effect of his boat on my boat the next time around, he changed his ways. Friends, we think about how we live our lives. If we really want to be sincere about doing no harm, then we've got to start with really that intention. But when we realize that we've done it, to acknowledge that, to ask for forgiveness, to seek repentance, to change our ways, and in some way to repair the damage by trying to fix things that we have completely wrecked. When John Wesley talks about doing no harm, he's talking about us considering the wake we cut in the world around us. So my prayer for each of us this week as we go about daily life, whatever comes your way, that we would think about the wake that we leave behind us. And may it be one that does no harm in the lives of everyone we meet and maybe even the people we haven't met yet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.